everybody. Welcome to Fish Town Local. It's another pouring rain delicious day here in Gloucester, Massachusetts, USA. So that's a good excuse to come on in with my favorite engineer in the world, Mr. Jim Capello. That's right. You've got my pillow. I've got my Jim Capello. And we're going to do four wonderful Gordo rants for you today. So here is the first one called My Own Piece of History. Oh, people collect many things. Some are things of status. Some's are of some of rarity. Some are merely great memories that mean nothing to other people. This is one of those, my own piece of collectible history. Hmm. Yes, President Donald J. Trump has told a bunch of lies. Yes, over 7,000, apparently, have been documented, but most of them he has told to the world through TV or the newspapers. On February 19th, 1991, this writer became the recipient of his own personalized Donald Trump lie. Let me tell you all about it. Lucky enough to be invited as publisher of Musician Magazine to Grammy parties when the Grammy Awards ceremony returned to New York City in 1991. Myself and a promotion director were at the Arista Records pre-Grammy party held at the Plaza in one of the elaborate multi-level ballrooms of the famous hotel. It was owned at the time by the aforementioned Mr. Trump, who had just dumped his first wife, Ivana, and was flaunting his soon-to-be second, then-to-be ex-wife, Marla Maples, in the gossip columns of the newspapers. The party was built around Clive Davis, legendary producer and record exec, and his exploding, but soon to be dead of an overdose, star, Whitney Houston, the hottest act in the record biz at the time. Whitney, of course, was <clears throat> prepping away in some back room, I'll leave it to you to draw your own conclusions. And she hadn't shown yet in the main room. That meant the spotlights weren't, quote, on yet. And it was still possible to make conversation and to meet influential people. A publisher's job. Now, Clive was a fan of musician. So it was easy to be able to say hello, but they don't give you much time when you're not making millions for them. But Clive was holding court up near the entrance area of the hall and stood in a group of his lieutenants and capos when I paid my respects. Then he peeled away from the group and descended into the boom area, leaving me with the group, small talking. All of a sudden, there was a commotion. Everyone turned, and descending his own grand staircase from an upper private suite was Sir Donald Trump and Marla, clad all in pink with the hugest diamond rock you ever saw on her finger. 
Down he came, much like his escalator ride as he declared for president in 2015. Imperious, exclusive, proprietarial. Lo and behold, he headed right for our group. Apparently, one of the Arista vice presidents was a Trump golfing partner, and the Donald started right into a bitch and moan session about the 13th hole at his Bedminster course. Well, I was nodding away in agreement as if I played golf, and suddenly the Arista VP turned and he introduced me to Trump as the publisher of Musician Magazine. He and Marla shook my hand, his shake a meaty and rapid wag, but hers a wafer-thin leaf of a shake. Then I received my piece of history. Trump said, Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite magazines. I read every issue. The Arista guy nodded, but I knew then and there that Trump had never read an issue, probably never even heard of us. He and Marla disappeared down the stairs to the drinks, and he went to his own private owner's box, almost like a separate alcove down in the lower part of the suite. The party was packed with stars of the time, and we never got near them again. Whitney finally came through right at the end of the party, high as a kite. And even Trump and Marla got no time with her. She was supposed to do a song, but didn't. Too gone. It was only years later, after Trump was elected and began setting records for lies, that I realized what I had received. My own personal Trump lie. Told to me right to my face. Not through the media, but direct. That must make it worth more, right? Sure, it was just a little polite lie, but it was my lie, like JFK, asking me what I had done for my country. A piece of history, a piece of his past training to be the great international liar that he would turn out to be today. So, yeah, yeah, all you stuffy status symbol collectors, or even you local Republicans, you might have Mike Pence and Mitch McConnell, but I have my own personalized Donald Trump lie. Now, if I could only get him to autograph it. <laughs> all right, then we have a wonderful diatribe written by myself last week. Who can sleep with a bunch of snoring pigs anyway? Oh, the piggies were practically dancing this morning. Miss Iggy, our fulsome teenage precocious porker, was particularly on a roll, leaping about, as many teenagers do, when confronted with perceiving possible paradise. Hamlet, her sedate older companion, was transfixed by the total abandon she displayed. But this jaded farmer knew why. Today felt like spring had suddenly descended after the brutal frozen polar vortex had just as suddenly vanished. Hamlet just stood there blinking in the morning sun. He couldn't believe their good luck after enduring the past few days of historic cold. Oh, pigs, they adapt to survive, as we all do. Weather changes habits fast. Even locked into their stalls for the worst of it, they huddled together night and day. 
The goat became a pig, too, and joined them under their feeding counter, wedging his fat tummy as close as he could alongside them. Anything for heat. Well, the pigsters didn't mind. They formed one large pulsating mass of soft flesh on the underside and fuzzy winter coats on the top. Even Zack, our stoic, loyal donkey, had abandoned his normally aloof posture in his regular corner position to sleep kneeling adjacent to the heated pig pile. It might have even looked cozy if it hadn't been so downright frigid on those coldest days as last week ended at negative 54 below zero wind chill in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They didn't ask me, the pigs, I mean, to join them in the pile. <laughs> Who can sleep with a bunch of snoring pigs anyway? Over in the chicken pens, they had adopted a similar strategy. Sharing communal heat is essential, and the Goyles, packed tightly to their presidential rooster in both chicken houses, up on their roosting perch. The hens are always in the same lineup around their man. Never sure how they figure it out, but it's always about the pecking order in chicken world. God help the lady hen who steps out of line and tries to muscle in closer to the man. The door is closed into their houses on really cold nights to keep the wind out. It's surprising how much warmth they can generate in the hay together. However, any eggs laid in the past three days have frozen solid as soon as the moms leave the laying box. At least the eggs can't break in your pockets, as is the case today, nearly 50 degrees warmer than the worst of the freeze. It always surprises this observer how immediately creatures and people expunge memories of weather extremes. Yes, today Iggy might be tap dancing on her joy of warmth, as we are all, but our bodies tend to quickly relegate that pain to the immediate distant past. Not retaining the memory is most likely a survival trait for them and us. Natural selection, etc., because remembering the horrors of weather might keep us from leaving our beds every day or just plain giving up on persevering no matter what, as we do now. We are programmed to face each new day with resolve, albeit a little wiser and warier, but still moving forward. Like other trauma we face, it is best to forget the worst, just so we can get the train down the track every day. The animals, well, they've already forgotten by lunchtime. Their breakfast dancing has given way to their regular chosen routines, snout rooting around for goodies, taking mud baths in the now defrosting earth, and of course, taking all important naps in the sun, out of the wind. The afternoon finds all of our beasts, now joined by the chickens, out holding a communal happy session in the lee of the barn where the sun can cure any complaints. Out holding a communal happy session. Ah, they are tightly bunched together. With Iggy under the donkey, she's turned at a right angle to form a big cross between them. It's awfully cute to see them stand like that for hours sometimes. Friendship personified. 
They always break up and disperse immediately upon seeing one of us coming, as if it were a secret animal society meeting that we'd interrupted. It's more likely they think food might be introduced and are coming our way, but it's much more fun to imagine them plotting away until they see us. So for now, the blast has receded. Puddles thawed and piggies smiling again. Back to normal. Well, until the next test, the next freeze, the next pig pile. And by the way, to answer the age-old question that you hadn't yet asked, yes, the piggies sleep side by side, both pointing in the same direction, not end to end. Hmm? That way, it's easier for them to kiss goodnight. Our social insecurity. Have you gotten the call yet? You know, the one where the angry, serious, taped voice is darkly threatening you that IRS agents are at that very moment loading their van to send their top team to your house to arrest you for tax fraud that very day. Images fly of them busting down your door and black-clad stormtrooper types leading you away while all the neighbors watch. Tisk tisking as they march you away. They had never realized such a desperate criminal as you live next door. I always thought he was up to no good, says your neighbor from two doors down. Thank God they got him in time. Of course, it isn't really the IRS calling. It's scammers. Like elves, they are hard at work, busy at scaring the heck out of anyone who will listen. Just give them all your relevant numbers, social security, credit card, bank account numbers, so they can work it all out and get you off the hook. But don't do it! Imagine what the elderly think of this trick. It sounds so authentic, why wouldn't they fall for it? And they do, because who wants trouble with the IRS? Not them? Not me? Not you. And that's why the scammers do it. Because people fall for it. The real IRS says they use mail to contact you, not the telephone. I got the call from the Social Security Administration the other week. Another serious managerial voice tells me that there have been errors in my Social Security checks. I've been overpaid. They want the money back. Call this toll-free 800 number to deal with the problem. In fact, I did call the number because this creaking old hulk had elected to not take Social Security until the age of 70, two years away. Yes, it was another scam. And when it answered, you could hear the recognizable sounds of a boiler room in the background, which is dozens of headset-wearing scammers busily shaking down the suckers. After my opening broadside that I wasn't taking Social Security yet, and they were scammers, I was cut off, and when I redialed, the number was blocked, just giving me busy signals. And speaking of phone numbers, the scammers have developed a new tack of routing their calls through local numbers to fool you into answering in case it's someone you might know. 
It's a trick to fool your caller ID readout. So the number would be 978-283 or 978-281 at the start. The name might read Cahill or some other real Gloucester name. But if you ever call one back, the number is not local, nor do they to pretend to know what's going on and how you got a call from their number. We get quote, local routed spam calls several times a day, but we don't ever pick up anymore. It's crazy because it feels like we're headed backwards, not forwards. The phone rings and we don't answer it. Now there's progress. Back in the early 70s, my first boss had had a previous career selling fire department and police directories. He explained to me that almost all the money went to the boiler room of callers and the fire department got zero. People were dumb enough to think that the actual cops and firemen would look it up to see if you'd bought an ad before answering the fire or the police call. Hardly likely. That's the psychology, anyway, that you were buying protection by contributing to a fund or buying a support ad in their directory. <laughs> Which reminds me of the calls I keep getting from one police organization for money. Who knows if it even exists? They always begin the call, is Deirdre there? Informed that there is no Deirdre at this number, they say, no problem, I can talk to you. They now have the camel's nose under the tent. They are inside your defenses. You haven't hung up yet. He launches into the spiel about the importance of supporting law enforcement, softening the ground for you thinking it might mean consideration if you get stopped for speeding. Ha! The next week, on a different phone, the caller asks, Is Deirdre there? But he can talk to me again. Two weeks later, a different voice asks for Deirdre. It's just a scam rolling in over the line. But people, ignore all these tricks. They are trying to scam you out of your most important numbers and or cash. If it were a serious, real problem, believe me, you would be first contacted by mail, registered mail if it was serious enough. The IRS and Social Security, they get free postage. Being part of the government, they would use it to contact you. These scammers are following the modern tradition of the email from the African prince who wants to give you millions for just letting him use your bank account to park his money. Seriously, what do they need you for to launder their money? We've all grown used to these silly emails and ignore or delete them. We should ignore or delete the phone scams too, no matter how much they dress them up in government clothes. Lastly, my cell buzzed the other day to hear a furious Chinese voice berating me about something. The only intelligible word was IRS over and over and an American 800 number to call. <laughs> Sheesh, if it's not one country's scam, it's another. Hey, stay warm, everybody. Ignore these calls and watch the snow pile up. It's a cold world out there. Let's keep them away from our bank accounts. And finally, perhaps the best intro to a piece I've ever written. And it goes like this. Disappearing Gloucester. The wind blew warm and fierce that late afternoon five Sundays ago. Behind my outstretched sail, a mammoth cloud ascended. 
its sides bulging black and dangerous, filling the entire sky with an ominous future. But as the boat wheeled on its axis, a greater, rarer sight greeted the eye. An infinite spectacle of seagulls had formed, at least 2,000 of them, rising in three concentric thermals over the city. Each is forelit by the bright, orange, aqua-tinted end-of-the-day sunlight and framed against the black, stormy background like a diorama from Armageddon. Where had they come from? The thermals spun the legions of gulls higher and higher as they gravitated southwest, straight out of the harbor towards the western shore, like a great natural mobile sculpture, the rising warm air forcing them even higher. The dramatic lighting took one's breath away. One thermal had more than half the total. The other two split the difference, all interweaving in overlapping circles. But the gulls were majestic, even though so far away, each performing its small role in the monster-sized whirlpool above, lit orange against black. Within the half hour, almost every gull had processed out of the harbor altogether, a distance sight on the horizon. Thermals like these only reinforce the fact that one never sees seagulls anymore. Yes, Gloucester has lost most of his seagulls as the fresh fish boats have declined. Boats used to clean fish on the way home, trailing clouds of seagulls like mosquitoes at a company cookout. Every day, twice, at dawn and again at sunset, the seagulls would rise en masse and from all parts of town head languidly towards the old magnolia dump, as in as if in a food trance. They literally controlled the town airspace. It was part of the scenery and the charm. But not anymore. Seagulls are becoming as rare as wooden boats. Yes, they're still here, but barely making a show of it. The good news is that the town doesn't smell as fishy or gurry-like as it used to. But that might also be part of the decline into the disappearing Gloucester category. Go figure, the official state bird of Utah is the seagull. Maybe that's where all our gulls went. Out on the business end of Rocky Neck by the railways, there is the sudden shock of realizing that the two work sheds that butted the outrigger slash madfish parking lot have quietly and instantly disappeared. But each building featured the most stunning collection of tuna tails, dozens fitted artistically over years in a time-honored pattern up the walls of both shacks. The, big, the bigger shed burned down. The other was clearly affected. There are now boats parked where they used to be. I guess they had to go. End of an era. So sad. And people that are so Gloucester have slipped away too. Many lately. It's that time of year when it's easier to give up the battle. After the holidays and into the void of deep winter. I didn't know them all, but they made up the fabric that is our town. All represent a passing era, a disappearing Gloucester. How many people, stores, boats, houses, businesses, trees 
have faded away. How many stories, good times, voyages, family gatherings, sports teams, how many happy times have receded into the past right under our gaze? Our communities have also been blessed with a tradition of diamonds in the rough. Geniuses even, from T.S. Eliot to Russell Krauss to Virginia Lee Burton, and many more not so famous, living among us. They were drawn and influenced by the sheer beauty, justice, and work ethic of our special place. One of them fully represented a jewel in the Gloucester crown that deserves a special acknowledgement of his departure. And just because so many knew him and loved him, he was a professor, an actor, a poet, and a lover of all things fair and clever. I only hope you knew him. In his own style, then, a tribute to Duncan Nelson. There was never a learned, more articulate poet than lived in our time here in Gloucester as we know it. This magnificent bender of words was no bumpkin, and he taught down at UMass in Boston, this Duncan. Across the North Shore, they would come and they'd go, but this clever professor would let them all know that none of his friends could be safe from the curses of his, of his cursive, subversive, mercurial verses. He'd tof, toss off his rhymings with nary a qualm from his Camelot castle in South Anisquam. With Bibi, his queen, nestled right by his side, her radiance reflected in his family pride. There were Graces and Sarahs. He loved ladies with pulchritude. And actors, directors, and people with culture, dude. There were ministers, mayors, even judges he'd pick on to see what spaghetti on the wall throne would stick on. When casting his rhymes like a brilliant ring tosser, he was known far and wide as the champion of Gloucester. Every big shot, every little shot, he roasted with rhyme. And they wore the biggest of grins on their faces each time. They would laugh, oh, we would laugh, when he made such a fuss, but secretly wished that he'd write one for us. He would jut out his chin and a striking tone take as a portrait of each of his victims would make, each as happy and proud to be pinned with the prize of Duncan's attention and his sparkling eyes. His rhymes could climb walls. They could topple and rattle. They were epic in length, but he never would prattle. His illusions historic and bulging with culture. They would fly like the eagle or swoop like the vulture. Duncan really took time. He was a master researcher, and his wit also made him a wicked besmircher. From the tip of the top of the rhymes that he makes, dear, it is plain he's the best since the work of Bill Shakespeare. So let's all raise a glass Say la vie. What the hell, son? There was never a man like Duncan M. Nelson. And that is my tribute. And that is my tribute to you, my audience, here on Fish 
down local even if it's gonna rain until the world floods away so keep on listening and tune in next time to Gloucester Fishtown Local hey.